Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. I would ask you to find in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 in the New Testament. While you're finding that, let me just remind you that one of our highest priorities here at Crossgate Church is to love our community well. And I want to give a special word of thanks to all of you who participated in our Feed the Need event last weekend. Uh, As you know, we actually have a food pantry that we run here on our campus every other Thursday morning for members of our community who can come out and receive free food boxes. And every person that passes through our food pantry also uh, hears a very crystal clear presentation of the gospel. And so we had a Feed the Need event last Sunday in order to kind of replenish and plus up our uh, food pantry that we have here on the campus. And I want to thank you so much, church. We went, I think, seven and seven or seven and eight, uh, 700 pounds of food donated and over $800 as well. So church, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate your generosity and, and your love for the community. Now on that note, I'm so grateful to see Terry Thompson back with us, my brother after heart surgery. Yes, first Sunday back, one of our elders at Crossgate. Terry, we love you and Linda. And we're so grateful that you're with us here today, worshiping in person. So we are continuing our teaching series entitled Next Gen or Reaching the Next Generation. Uh, It's an important message. It's an important series in the life of our church, as I know you will agree. Of course, we've said it many times that Crossgate Church is a multi-generational church that leans into the next generation, uh, which is important. Uh, And many of you have heard me say before that whoever wants the next generation the most will get them. Uh, Some of you have asked, well, did you come up with that on your own? No, I stole it from another church, all right? I just shamelessly stole it from another church. Uh, Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia, one of the great churches in our nation, uh, they have this right on the wall in their their large mall or lobby area. Uh, Those letters are three feet tall, and every person that walks into that mall area knows without a shadow of a doubt that church is going after the next generation. Absolutely love that. But here's the thing. This message in this series is for everybody, okay? It's not just for the parents. It's not just for the grandparents. It's for everybody. Because even if you don't have any children, or you don't have any grandchildren, or perhaps uh, your children or grandchildren are distanced from you in such a way that you're, you're having a difficult time influencing them for Jesus, there are plenty of children in your sphere of influence. Trust me, if you're here on this campus, there are plenty of children in your sphere of influence. So I ask you to pay attention to what we're saying this morning about reaching the next generation. Now, sometimes people will say, well, how come we're making such a big deal about the next generation? I mean, how come we're making such a big deal about leaning in to the next generation? Well, that's a great question. First of all, we do it because it's biblical. I mean, it's in the Bible, a mandate in the Bible. We certainly see God's heart Uh, for the next generation and for all generations. For example, I shared this with you two weeks ago. I'll share it with you again. Genesis chapter 17, it says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And here's another one from Deuteronomy. I shared this with, with you two weeks ago also. Know therefore that the Lord our God is God The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now look at Psalm 145. 
Now you're beginning to see kind of a mandate here from the Lord. I will praise you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation, that's you, shall commend your works to another, that's the next generation, and shall declare your mighty deeds. And then I would direct your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a crystal clear picture of what this looks like. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? You shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Now watch this. Watch what he says here. And it will be righteousness for us if, if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. There is a conditional aspect there. That is illustrated when you talk to your kids, you talk to your grandchildren, or whoever God has placed in your sphere of influence and say, you know what, here's the deal. What we've learned, mom and dad have learned this. If, if, if we honor Jesus and put God first, and build our home upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ when the storms come and the winds beat down on our house, the rain and all the rest, our house will stand. God will bless us if we put him first, right? That's, that's pretty much what we're supposed to be communicating to the next generation. So it's biblical that we are leaning in to the next generation. But let's face it, it also makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, you think about it. We're not the only people in this world who are talking about reaching the next generation. The political analysts are talking about reaching the next generation. I saw an article uh, just the other day uh, written by Kellyanne Conway, who's a political strategist. Of course, she's, she's talking about different political parties. You know me. Ultimately, I'm a Christocrat. I'm not, I'm not a member of any political party. Jesus is king, and I'm going to vote however uh, he leads me to do so. But she says this, the Democrat Party is becoming a turnout machine among younger voters due to its use of social media influencers with left-leaning views. While I disagree with their policies, it's a smart move to lean on social media influencers. Republicans have some work to do in appealing to younger voters. We cannot simply wait for the young to turn old and the single to be married to find new voters, that's for sure. Voters ages 18 to 29 prefer Democrats by a significant margin with the demographic voting for Democrats over Republican by a 28-point margin in 2022, as well as voting for Biden over Trump by a 24-point margin in 2020. There's a pragmatic aspect to reaching and leaning into the next generation, right? Because you always need a, a younger generation coming up to be a part of whatever it is you're a part of. Right? But it's not just the political analysts. How about the marketing executives? Okay, so many of you know in the last couple weeks there's been a big controversy over Bud Light, right? Dylan Mulvaney, the transgender influencer, placed on a can of Bud Light beer. And I mean, it just, you know, I mean, all kinds of fallout over that. Well, the marketing vice president behind that, Alyssa Heidersheed, listen, by the way, as of this weekend, my understanding is she is now identifying as unemployed. Uh, she said this. Right? And I'm not trying to be snarky, I'm just simply saying that here's the motivation that she said herself was behind this marketing strategy. Watch this. I had a really clear job to do when I took over Bud Light. This brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. 
And if we don't attract younger drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had a super clear mandate to evolve and elevate the brand. What does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and appeals to younger women and men. Here's something about beer drinkers, okay? Middle-aged beer drinkers become senior citizen beer drinkers. And senior citizen beer drinkers, guess what they do? They stop drinking beer because they die off. And so now you've got to find some younger folks to drink Bud Light, right? It, it's, it, it's an issue of leaning into a new generation of folk. I mean, everybody knows this. It's not just like we're the only people talking about reaching the next generation. Of course, we're the only ones that have the gospel. That's the big difference. Now, the fact is this. Today, we're going to specifically talk about making more and better disciples of the next generation along these lines. There are voices in the world that are bombarding our students every single day. And there are verses in the scripture that help us to know the truth. And so we're going to talk about equipping the next generation to evaluate the voices in light of the verses, right? And we're going to do that by simply equipping them over and over and over again to ask this question, what does the Bible say? You know, I've gotten a lot of feedback, good, bad, and ugly, over the last almost four years that I've been your pastor, right? And I will tell you that the feedback that I get more than anything else from, from all different generations at Crossgate Church is this, thank you, Pastor Phil, for always asking the question, what does the Bible say? I've had grandparents say, I'm so grateful my grandchildren are in a church where they are hearing that over and over again. I've had parents tell me that. I've had younger folks tell me that. They are so grateful. And listen, I, I, my heart is warm to tell you this, that I was saved in a, in a church that had a very high view of the Scripture. I'm so grateful to be the pastor of a church that has a high view of the Word of God. So we're going to talk about that today. Finally, we're getting to Acts 17. Everything else has been throat clearing up to this point. But now let's dive into the Scripture. And first of all, let's just simply see that the, that the verses are greater than the voices. Okay? The verses are greater than the voices. We've just got a couple of short verses to read for you from Acts 17. Watch this. <clears throat> the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. And they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So a couple things I want you to see about these, these people in Berea. The first of which is this. They had a high view of the scripture. Now Paul the apostle was the premier missionary in those days for the Christian faith. He traveled all over the ancient world going from city to city to city. And, and kind of his, 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 uh, his modus operandi, as they say, his MO, was to first go to the synagogue, the Jewish house of prayer and worship and scripture reading, and preach the gospel there. Preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in accordance with the scriptures. Why did he go to the synagogues first? Well, because they already knew the Bible. They may not have known that Jesus was all over it, but they, they at least knew the basic framework of the Old Testament as they had it. But not only did they have a knowledge of it, they had a very high view of that scripture. You say, how do you know that? 
Well, because even what the Bible claims for itself, those people in the synagogues would have certainly agreed with this. Watch this. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Psalm 18, verse 30. God's way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And then one more, Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. They had a high view of the Scripture. They recognized it for what it was. God's pure, pristine word revealed to them. I will tell you something. Parent, grandparent, whoever you may be here today. Probably the greatest thing that you could ever give your children is the word of God. The greatest thing that you could ever give your children is not just the word of God, but a high view, recognizing it for what it is, the word of God, and imparting that to them, teaching that to them, passing it on to them. So just yesterday, I made a major, major purchase. Major. And all God's people said, major, right? I went out and bought something that I typically only buy about once every eight to ten years. So it's not something I buy on a regular basis, okay? I went out and bought a new Bible. And, and I've only had, listen, over the course of three decades of following Jesus Christ, up to this point in time, I've only had four Bibles. So about every eight to ten years, I go out and buy a new Bible. first one I bought when I got saved as a teenager in high school, and I wore that out in eight or nine years and marked it all up, and the cover was falling off, and I put duct tape on the spine, and I retired that one. Then I went out and got another one. Wore that one out. Then I got another one. Then I, so I just retired my fourth Bible, and now I'm on my fifth Bible. Why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because I have five children. Okay? And, and every one of my kids, God willing, one of these days, because I've got them all stacked up on the shelf right now, but one of these days I'm going to pass those Bibles off to my kids. There, there's my Bibles, my four Bibles, or what's left of them, and I've got those at the house, and every one of my kids is going to get one of those Bibles. Why do, I, why do I think that's a big deal? I remember hearing John Maxwell, the great John Maxwell, preaching several years ago. And in the middle of the message, he held up a raggedy old Bible. And he said, this was my dad's Bible. And then with tears coursing down his face, he said, because his dad had long since passed into heaven, he, he said, there's not a page in this Bible that is not somehow marked up as evidence that my dad was there. And he said, my dad was a man of the book, and he gave this Bible to me. And I want to do the same thing for my kids as well. By the way, just on a side note, um, this, is, this is why I always encourage people to use a, a good old-fashioned paper Bible whenever possible. All right, I got it. Sometimes it's more convenient to, to use your device or what have you. Uh, but by the way, if someone's using a device right now, just look over to them and say, he's not judging you. All right. He, he, he's not, ju I'm not judging. All right. But he, here's the fact is this is eventually going to die and become nothing more than a paperweight that I can't even use for anything. Right. Those Bibles, God willing, will be around until Jesus comes back as, as a, as, as a testament to the fact that, that, that I, I have been a man of the book. Now I haven't been perfect, but I've been a man of the book. And I'm going to pass those things off to my children. So they had a high view of Scripture. Hugely important. Here's the second thing, though. They examined the, the voices through the verses. Look back 
in Acts chapter 17, what does it say? These people in Berea, they, they heard what Paul said, and they just bought into it hook, line, and sinker without ever thinking about it. No, it actually says they heard what Paul said. Paul was just one of many voices at that point. They didn't know who he was. He was just coming in with a message. And so they evaluated it based on what they saw in the Scripture. They, they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether what Paul was saying was true. Now, this is so huge as we invest in the next generation at Crossgate Church. And here's the reason why. Well, two reasons, really. One is because just of the sheer volume, the number of voices that are bombarding the next generation, all kinds of voices from the world. But here's the second reason. Technology has made, made it such that the voices coming at them from the world seem more and more believable because of so many technological advances. And you know, the Bible describes, I would say, the age range from middle school to high school with a word, and that word is simple. Uh, the, the word simple in the Bible does not mean that they're faithless or that they have evil uh, you know, actions all the time. Simple simply means that there's, there's typically a lack of discernment, and, and a, a simple person will basically usually buy into anything they hear. There's, there's not a lot of scrutiny taking place. Let me, let me give you some examples from the book of Proverbs. This is just three, but there's many others. I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now again, the, the, the phrase lacking sense does not mean that this person is a dummy, but the fact is they're just not, they're, they're not discerning. Okay, here's another one from Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 15. The simple believes everything. Does that sound like anybody you know? but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And by the way, this, this would have described me when I was 16, 17 years old as well. Okay, so I'm not trying to single anybody out. It was, it was true of me in those days as well. And here's one other from Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So there, there's, there's, a, there's a simplicity of mind among the vast majority of middle school and high school students where they will believe almost anything. And that's, that's an even bigger challenge now because technology is out there, right? I mean, you've got artificial intelligence hallucinations. You, you've got deep fakes. You've got the good old-fashioned Photoshop, among other things. You've got cultural influencers and just the sheer volume of voices. All of that makes it that much more difficult to, to distinguish between the voices and the verses, okay, just case in point, and I, and I saw this just last night, so this isn't even in the notes. This is an example, or should I say a definition, of an artificial intelligence hallucination, okay? These are defined as information and media that are coherent, but factually incorrect and nonsensical. Images, data, or information can look and sound highly credible, authentic, and man-made, but it may actually be fake or inaccurate, a product of artificial intelligence. Case in point, and I'm sure everybody here listens to these people, okay, but just this last week, two artists released a music video, Drake and The Weeknd. I know there's tons of Drake and The Weeknd fans out there in this service, all right? Pro actually, you probably don't even know who these people are, but there's Drake, and then he's called The Weeknd. I asked Cher, I said, can I change my name to The Weeknd? And she said, no. So anyway, these two guys released a music video, and within just a matter of hours, 10 million people had watched the video and caused it to go viral. There's only one problem. They never made the video. 
the entire video and music and lyrics and everything was generated by artificial intelligence. And yet 10 million people were duped. Now, that's just that's an example. I mean, I, I don't have a problem. What I'm saying is that that is, that is the level at which the next generation is receiving information. And so the importance of discerning between the voices of the world and the verses of Scripture has never been more critical than it is today. That's why I always remind people that President Ronald Reagan used to simply say this, trust but verify. Now, I know everybody in this service knows who that guy is, okay? Trust, by the way, that was a Russian proverb that Reagan co-opted off the Russians, but regardless of where he got it from, it's so vitally true. Trust but verify. That's a great one to give to your kids and grandkids. Yeah, you see all this stuff? Trust, but check it out. Check it out. And by the way, that's what the Word of God does. Look in Psalm 119, verse 130. Look at this. The unfolding of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. Man, that's a great verse from the Bible. The unfolding of your word. When you place the word of God into the life of, of, a, of a student, middle school, high school, college student, and, and you, you train them to, to discern and, and, and to get into the verses and check the voices over and against the verses, it says that gives light and understanding to the simple. That's why we always want to give the next generation the Word of God. All right, so these people in Acts 17, first of all, they had a high view of Scripture. Second of all, they examined the, the voices through the verses. And here's the third thing, they were ready to obey. They were ready to obey. Look back in the Scripture again. What happened? They heard Paul preach. That was a voice. They compared that to the verses in the Bible. They said, this dude, it, he's, he's right. Let's, let's obey what God is telling us through this man. And so they obeyed. There, 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 was, there was a readiness and an eagerness to obey whatever God said. You know, just this week, the great pastor from Atlanta, Charles Stanley, stepped on into heaven 50 years in Atlanta. And if you're not familiar with Charles Stanley, you could Google him, and, and immediately this quote will pop up, probably the most famous quote attributed to Charles Stanley. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. You know, that's a great word of testimony you could give to your children or your grandchildren, right? Tell them about a time in your life when even when it was difficult, even when it was hard, even when it didn't make sense, you obeyed God and the, and, and the verses in the Scripture, and God was good to you. Just obey God and leave all the consequences to Him. By the way, let me say this. I think you understand this, but it's important to reiterate it. You can't possibly impart all this stuff to your kids and grandkids unless it's true in your life first. Isn't that, isn't that true? Right? I mean, do you have a high view of the Scripture? Is, is God's Word truly in, in pride of place in your life? Are, are, are you actively discerning between the voices and the verses in this world? Because you're hearing the voices too. And are you ready to obey? Has, ha, has there been a string of obedient decisions? Decisions determine destiny. Ha, has there been a string of obedient decisions in your life? And you can point to those and say, you know what, I'm not perfect, but I will tell you this, kids, grandkids, I have tried to obey God whenever he's told me to do something. That is powerful. That's powerful. Now you say, okay, Pastor Phil, you've been talking a lot about voices and verses, but let's just get specific. I mean, what are some of the, the voices in the world that you're, that you're talking about? Okay, well, let's talk about the voices that need verses. Here's one example. Voice number one. 
sexuality and gender can mean and be whatever you want it to mean and be. And if you don't agree with that, you're filled with hate. Now, if you haven't heard that, you've been asleep for 30 years. I mean, for real. Because this is all over the place, right? And the next generation, more than anyone else, is being bombarded by this kind of messaging. Case in point. And let's just talk for a minute about the, 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 just this unbelievable rise in, in the kind of the drag community, you know, where typically it's a, a man who dresses in a flamboyant woman's outfit, okay? Uh, here, look at this. Here's an article I saw this week from PBS NewsHour. Drag story hours in which performers read to children in libraries, bookstores, or other venues have become popular in recent years. The events use a captivating character, and that's, that's what I call a euphemism, a captivating character to get a child's attention. Any parent whose kid can't take their eyes off of Elsa from Frozen gets the idea. The difference here is that the goal is to get kids interested in reading, which is crazy when you think about it. Elsa, let it go, let it go, in their eyes is no different than a man dressed up in some flamboyant woman's costume. Right? And then, of course, they, they say, look, I mean, listen, the, the whole reason we're doing this is because we just want kids to read better. We just want kids to enjoy reading. Really? I, I mean, listen, yeah, it's one thing to ask what's wrong with a, with a drag uh, performer uh, appearing before children. Honestly, I think the bigger question is why do drag performers so crave audiences of children? Right? Why? Because they're trying to reach the next generation and normalize the absurd. Here, here's, here's another article. I saw this. It's out of Iowa, Times Republican paper. An op-ed piece said this, drag queens pose no bigger threat to our communities than transgender women in sports do. That's a whole other argument for another time. These are issues right-wing extremists have gotten hold of because they work politically, not because they've suddenly taken an interest in women's sports or children's story hours. It's also about recognizing that not everyone fits squarely into the binary system, that human sexuality takes more forms than traditional heterosexuality. It's about acceptance as opposed to rejection. Again, if you haven't heard all of this, you've been asleep for 30 years. The question is, what does the Bible say? Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, look at this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now look, this is Old Testament law. Right? And, and the nitinoid details of the Old Testament law, that's, that doesn't apply to, to followers of Jesus in our day and age today. Right? But the principles are still there. And we must ask ourselves when we go back to the Old Testament, well, what's the principle here? And I think clearly the principle is this, that God created them male and female. And God is opposed to any movement that tries to dilute or demolish the distinctions between male and and female, right? I mean, God is opposed to that because that was his created order. I mean, don't take it up with me, take it up with God, right? Now, what does the Bible say continually? Because here, here's the messaging. If you don't agree with this, you are a hate-filled bigot, right? Well, what does the Bible say? Ephesians 4, 15, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. I got news for you. The Bible does not give anyone license to be a jerk or to be ugly to people and so we should always endeavor to speak the truth in love but understand this when you speak the truth even in love this world's still going to come down on you like a hammer and taking a stand for christ 
It's all part of following Jesus. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren said it best. Look at this. Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that love to love someone means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. All right, so understand, as these voices come in, we want to equip the next generation on how to discern and choose the verses over the voices. Here's voice number two. Voice number two. Date whoever you want to, however you want to, whenever you want to. Right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, 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 the voice that's coming in from our culture today. And by the way, not just for students. I would say if you've been previously married and now you're kind of on the dating scene, I mean, you're, you're, you're hearing the exact same thing from the world and from your co-workers and all the rest, and yet God has something else to say. But what are some of these voices? How are they manifested? Okay, here, here's one. Here's one from Psychology Today. Gen Z, those born after 1995, is having a mental crisis in terms of accelerated rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide. At the same time, there is a massive downward spiral in sexual activity among Gen Z Americans. Some older adults see this as good news because, after all, less sex will likely translate to fewer sexually transmitted infections, unintended pregnancies, and abortions. At the same time, however, the rise in sexlessness among young adults comes with the cost of not being able to tap into the myriad benefits of sexual activity, including its positive effects on psychological well-being. And this, in part, may be worsening the mental health crisis we're seeing in Gen Z. Wow, so much dissonance in this article in Psychology Today. On the one hand, they're saying, well, Gen Z is not as, as sexually active as we were back in the 80s and the 90s, but wow, I mean, they're, they're paying a price for it in, in mental well-being. A lot of dissonance in those voices. And here's one more. I actually gave this to you in our series on marriage earlier this year, Brides Magazine. What living together before marriage means for your relationship. Cohabitation, and by the way, for you old-timers, that's shacking up, okay? Cohabitation is a great way to test-run a relationship before fully committing to marriage, if that's your end goal. It creates an environment where couples can really get to know each other while learning how they function as a unit that shares both a living space and a life together. This may be the biggest irony of them all. Brides Magazine, which is a publication devoted to helping people get married is also providing bad advice that's going to help people get divorced eventually because you know the data supports this throughout, I mean, everywhere, all time. People who live together before they get married have a much higher divorce rate than people who never live together before they get married. Right? Voices. Those are the voices. Well, what does the Bible say about dating? Well, actually, the Bible, on the one hand, doesn't say anything about dating because they didn't even have dating back in the 2,000 years ago. They just didn't have it. Okay. On the other hand, there's some tremendous principles. The number one principle is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no business dating a lost person. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, look at this. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? You know, for that matter, you certainly have no business marrying an unbeliever. And if you can't possibly see yourself marrying someone, you have no business dating them in the first place. Uh, one of the first churches I ever pastored, I got up and told the congregation one Sunday from this scripture, I said, you're foolish if you're a Christian and you marry a lost person. And some people tried to have me thrown out of the church. They didn't like what I told them, right? But the fact is, it's right there. That's a, that's a verse 
over and against the voice. How about this scripture? Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be added to you. Here's something very important for anybody who's in the dating pool, no matter how old or young they may be. It's a thousand times more important to be the right person than it is to find the right person. Did you know that? It's a thousand times more important to be the right person, a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him than to find the right person in a relationship. I'm not sure I made a lot of friends in the 930 service when I said, I don't really think I know any high school students that are probably ready to date. I I, I think some of the students might have tuned me out. But the fact is, during those years, your number one priority is to work on being the right person, becoming that young man or woman of God, following Jesus, learning the scriptures and all the rest, and then you'll be ready when God brings that right person along. And here's a great verse for dating in light of that. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will lift you up in due time. Voices and verses. I will tell you the voices of the world, as I told the 930 service, the voices of the world will not lead you to peace, stability, and the joy of the Lord. They just won't do it. And here's one other voice. Voice number three, you've got to be involved in tons of activities, otherwise you'll miss out. If that means skipping church and Wednesday night student ministry, then so be it. And Pastor Josh gave me a great hearty amen in the first service. Uh, I, I think we all know that the next generation is unbelievably busy these days. School, extracurricular activities, sports, and on and on and on and on. Nothing wrong with activities, obviously. Nothing wrong with those. But at the same time, I'm looking into the eyes of some parents here. I was certainly looking into the eyes of some parents in the first service who are absolutely exhausted. Absolutely exhausted because of all the stuff that their kids are involved in. And I'll tell you, no, no parent is willing to blink, right? Isn't that true? Pa- parents are, are scared to death of blinking and saying, you know what, kids, we don't need to do all this stuff. We can do some of it, but we don't do all of it. You know why? Because the voices of the world have said, if your child is not engaged in a thousand different activities, they're going to miss out on all these things, scholarships and all these other things. Where's the trust in God? Trust in God with, with your child's future. If I, can just, if I can just grind my child into the dirt enough, they might actually have a future in this world. I'm not so sure that's what the Bible says. Okay. But, but listen, here's, here's an article I saw this week from the Journal of Sports Education and Society. Researchers, and this was in a particular part of the country, particular demographic, researchers found that the majority of children, 88%, were participating in organized activities four to five days per week with 58% of the kids going to more than one activity in a single evening. Extracurricular activities were essentially found to dominate family life. Researchers assert that a busy, organized activity schedule cannot only put excessive strain on family relationships and resources, and all the parents said, yeah, it costs an arm and a leg to be involved in all these things, but also potentially harm children's development and well-being. Now, again, remember, I'm not saying there's something wrong with activities per se, But when those activities prevent your children from being in church and prevent you from being in church on a consistent basis, both on Sunday morning and for one of our greatest disciple-making opportunities for middle school and high school students on Wednesday night, one of two things need to happen. 
Either you need to find some new activities for your children, or you simply need to tell their coach or their instructor or their whatever, hey, look, Wednesday nights, we're going to be in church, so we're, just, we're not going to be at practice on Wednesday nights. What, what does the Bible say? What, what are the verses? Hebrews chapter 10, look at this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's one of the biggest reasons why we are not to uh, stay away? We should, we should gather because we need each other, friends. You think you can do this Christian life on your own? You are flat wrong. We need each other. Your students need other Christian students for fellowship. They need other, other people pouring into them as well in terms of what happens here at Crossgate Church. The voices of the world say, go, 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 more, more, faster, faster. And the verses say, come together and be with me and with others who follow Jesus. I love what Andy Owen said. Look at this. Parents who treat church as optional should not be surprised when their children end up treating Jesus as unnecessary. So what's our next step, Pastor Phil? You know, I, I, I would tell you that I think your, your next step as a parent, if, if this is not part of your rhythm on a regular basis already, okay, your next step as a parent, a grandparent, or anybody who has children in their sphere of influence is to enculturate the question what does the Bible say? That's why the dining room table is probably the most sacred place in our homes, whether we realize it or not. Spend your time around the table, breaking bread as a family together, eating and talking, not watching a screen, or just, listen, just, it's okay. Your kids may, may not like you for a season, no phones at the table, how about that? No devices at the table whatsoever. Mom and dad, that, that counts for you too. You've got to put your phones and devices somewhere else when you're sitting at the table. And, and I'm not saying you've got to just come up with a sermon every time you sit down and eat or, or 10 scripture verses, but I'm telling you what needs to happen is as you talk about life and about things, inject that question. What does the Bible say? Let that become a part of the culture of your family. What does the Bible say about that? You say, well, Pastor Phil, I don't have any children. I don't have any grandchildren. Or they're so far away, I, I have a hard time influencing them. I'll tell you what, if, if, if you're on this campus physically on a Sunday or a Wednesday, you've got tons of children in your sphere of influence, whether you realize it or not. And regardless of what your physical capabilities are, regardless of your, your level of abilities to engage and, and, and all the rest and instruct, listen, there are opportunities for you on this campus to somehow pour into the next generation, if, if for nothing else, to simply help them to hear that question over and over again, what does the Bible say? And I want to encourage you, that may very well be your next step. You say, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Here's where you begin. Come see us in our next steps area after this service, or you can talk directly to Pastor Josh, Miss Danielle, Miss Jessica, our preschool and children's directors, and say, you know what, I, God has laid this on my heart as a conviction that I need to be more proactive in, in pouring into the next generation here at Crossgate Church. How can I do that? Help me to see how I could do that at Crossgate. 
We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.